My hometown of Marysville, Ohio, is a hyper-conservative village just northwest of Columbus, the state capital. It's the kind of place where the Gender Sexuality Alliance cannot get a community mural, but every effort is made to build a new stadium for the football team. On August 20th, the booster group for the Marysville High School football team released their senior photo, in which members, clad in school jerseys, stood on a rusty locomotive and hoisted numerous flags including three desecrated American flags, which derive from Thin Blue Line USA, an online retailer. The company's signature icon, the Thin Blue Line American flag, already has a seasoned history with white supremacists and is unequivocally politicized. Nevertheless, the football team claimed that its only motive was to support first responders. My friends Sarah, Dio, and I all graduated from Marysville High School. Understanding the context in which that flag was raised, the three of us condemned the picture and sought to educate the Marysville public on why a symbol with such contentious ties does not belong in a promotional photo. Sarah, who goes to The Ohio State University, was the first to speak out on Facebook. Them like saying this is for first responders and saying it's for family members, but never ever having a photograph like this before and having it in our current climate and with like very recent clear events, it's hard for me to say like, this is just a coincidence. Like they didn't have an an ulterior motive behind posing the football team like this. She found herself at the center of some of the most abominable speech one can fathom, the kind of hateful ignorance that's endemic to social media where pro-Trump memes coexist with death threats. I myself created a petition to the superintendent, which was met with a counterpetition and ridicule by a conservative media outlet. Dio, who attends the University of Chicago, wrote an op-ed that explained the horrors of the flag specifically, but also Marysville's reputation of racism in the school system and beyond. The community repudiated her views as well. I feel like the common understanding of the community was like, oh, these people who don't want to talk about race, don't want to get into confrontation don't express strong opinions. And then for this to happen, to see how like the community actually thinks, how people actually react, was very enlightening. The podcast is the result of two interviews conducted, one with my high school friends and another with my colleague at the Blue Jay, Sadia Hawk. We found that this incident serves as a microcosm for something much larger, one sliver of the scar that haunts the spirit of liberty in this nation. I hope you'll take a listen. The Thin Blue Line American flag was created in 2014 uh, and has sort of followed a similar history as Blue Lives Matter, the counter movement against Black Lives Matter. And in 2017, at the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, Mm -hmm. it was flown. And as most people know, someone died. They were a victim of uh, vehicular homicide. Mm. So right then and there, the flag develops this reputation of being associated with hate groups, yeah. uh, neo-Nazis. Mm-hmm. And then just last month, we have Kyle Rittenhouse, yeah. the Kenosha shooter. And he was a proponent of Blue Lives Matter. His Facebook profile had the then Blue Line American flag on it. You know, this is something that was inherently political you know, because he has this very specific viewpoint of what the role of police and even like an organized militia, as, as obscure as that may seem to so many people, the fact that there are certain people who want to carry guns and you know keep the peace to protect yeah. property, even if they have no authority whatsoever to do so. You know, it's attracting those type of people. It's really resonating 
with people who are full of hate and don't want to listen, who want to resort to violence to resolve conflicts. The interviews you've had with your friends talked about the impact this has had on your the place you grew up, your high school, the people that live in the area. These are seniors that you probably went to high school with as a senior. Like these are maybe don't you don't know them directly, but these are probably people you know adjacently. I'm curious about the personal impact it has had since this is the high school you went to. So growing up in Marysville, uh, it's been pretty easy on my end, actually. The lack of consideration for minorities, especially. I only discovered my junior year of high school when I helped revamp or restart the Gender Sexuality Alliance at my high school. So there was a lot of opposition to that, obviously. Beforehand, it was like a very clandestine group. It was called the Alliance. No one really knew what it was unless you were a part of it, whereas this was more direct. There were rainbows on the walls, you know, flyers. And shortly after putting them up, they were all taken down. And there's one instance that I remember of some of the football players at my high school ripping them off. And I watched them like as a group, tear them down. And that's when I really started to notice that there were certain organizations that chose simply ignorance rather than tolerance, you know. I don't know if they're a big thing in your small town, but some of the friends I have who are from small town sports are the, are the event in their small town. So players of any sport team or just especially like football or like baseball or the big ones are just allowed to get away with a little bit more than if they were just a normal regular student. It's a hierarchy of sorts. It's not like not a stereotypical like I don't want to say all high schools are like this or all small towns. I'm just saying there's a level of hierarchy that just being a sports player in a small town you have and it's an institutional thing that sometimes you don't even realize it. Like the power you have just because of how small your audience is. No, absolutely. Um, that's definitely the case in Marysville. So last year, the city earned several grants, and I believe they also used some of their own money to fund a new football stadium. So this cost well over $10 million. It was like a humongous investment. And something that really brought a lot of the community together. You know, everyone was really excited about it. But there were obviously some people who opposed it for several reasons. So my hometown has a small historic district. It was a lot of old buildings, you know, kind of like a typical small town thing, you know, yeah. like little mom pop shops, antique stores, stuff like that. And a lot of the buildings aren't well kept. Basically the people who lease them have to take care of a lot of the problems that they have, like renovating, fixing drainage, uh, installing sinks, etc., stuff like that. A lot of the city is not maintained as well as it maybe should be. There's a lot of potential, you know, in some of these older buildings and attracting younger people, especially like people of like renting apartments, or at least they used to before COVID, uh, you know, like loft areas that are renovated. That's kind of cool, you know. But perhaps the most egregious example of how that part of town has been neglected is the old theater. Mm. So this is a theater that's been around for, I believe, close to a century. And it's been under plans for reconstruction for the past 12 years or so. And just a few months ago, while they were trying to, you know, fix the ceiling, I think, the whole thing collapsed. Mm -hmm. So 
not only was this a project that took over a decade to plan and figure out like how they were even gonna go about storing this theater or replacing it, it just kind of all goes to shit. Or I guess I'll rephrase that. It all falls apart, you know, a lot. It shows that some parts of town just don't get the attention that other parts do, even if they would offer, you know, real cultural possibilities, you know, maybe that would connect people in different ways. There's no movie theater in my hometown, by the way. This is like the only one that, the only potential one. So I guess it's that narrow purview of the community as a whole, where sports are like the main attraction. That's the only thing that really matters in terms of entertainment in the city. That and the marching band. But the marching band is obviously inextricable from Friday Night Football. So it's all tied into that. You can kind of understand, you know, like what you said, there is an hierarchy. You know, some parts of the community are more important than others. And that means that certain members of the community get special treatment. And And also have a larger influence. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If it was a small organization, maybe there'd be less attention. But this is, like, this is the football team, like the main attraction of this town. And they're the ones who are so publicly showing this opinion, even if that wasn't their intent. Like, this is... When you think of Marysville in a way, like when you go to Marysville, visit Marysville, you think, oh, the high school football team. And you see this photo and you're like, oh, that's what they stand for. It's a bit of a punch in the face. Like, that's not what I want my school to stand for, like my high school to stand for, like my town to stand for. It is a point of importance in this town, in, your, in Marysville. And it's something people focus on. It's something people grow up with something people are surrounded by and it has a aftershock once like even if an apology is given even if things are said which from what i understand hasn't been said not really this is an implication that they're giving out that this is what they stand for like police brutality this is like against like the anti-black lives matter this is like something that they may not have intentionally wanted to say but have inadvertently said with this one photo because of how important the football team is to your town and just how prolific that photo will become. And that does make it an unfortunate linchpin in this whole controversy. It's a difficult thing to manage, especially with the presidency that we have, especially with what's going on with the pandemic, what's going on with the Black Lives Matter movement in this country. It's hard. And with just the inherent tribalism of our political system, like this two-party system of being a Democrat, being a Republican, being liberal, being conservative, it's hard to define what it means to be apolitical. Because as you've said, apolitical in, in this country is actually deeply shaped by your own personal politics. People like you, teenagers, high schoolers, high school graduates, go to college are exposed to different views and usually they stay in college for a good portion of the year they make new friends they have new ideas and they go back home for the summer or break but now this pandemic has forced people forced people to go back to their hometowns go back to places where they're usually not at during this time i don't want to say people wouldn't focus on if the pandemic wasn't happening but i think because everyone's at home and everyone is either on the computer or just on their phone, like on social media, because there's just a limited amount of things that you can do during this pandemic. It's so much easier to see just how 
diverging people's views are, even in rural towns, even in urban areas, because like you said, it's, you didn't really realize that there was tension, like political tension until your junior year, when you got involved with like the LGBTQ group, like it just wasn't in your periphery, not just because you, you're white and cis, but also because it's just not something you're surrounded by. But once you, easy to like sweep things under the rug, once you're not like attuned to every small microaggression, every small incident that happens. But because of the pandemic and because we've been forced to stay indoors a bit more, forced to interact with people, that we might not always interact with or family that family members we might not always talk with or just people and ideas that we might not always be in the same room with we've been forced into close quarters and i think tensions are just higher and people are just perceiving those microaggressions and perceiving those errors and judgment in a much more broader context this high school football team had good intentions but with everything that's going on it's hard to say how far did those good intentions really go? Your friend who commented on the photo graduated, went to college, like experienced a new environment, came back. You like were aware of like, oh, there's an injustice ha happening in your junior. How do you think your ideas and your opinions and your just political leanings grew going to Columbia and then coming back to your small town? Although my junior year allowed me to see some of the lack of tolerance that existed in my community, I, I did not understand how the community understood race. There weren't any race-based organizations at my high school. Mm -hmm. Most of my classmates were white. And I think the best way to understand what was wrong with the high school and how it approached race as a concept begins with my friend Dio, who goes to U Chicago. She helped lead the first incarnation of the Gender Sexuality Alliance at MHS. For one of the meetings, she constructed a lesson plan that dealt with race. My friend Daya was actually threatened to leave the group because she had this meeting that dealt with race. And I didn't know about this actually while I was in high school, but she told me this story just recently when I talked with uh, her and my friend Sarah. The reason why I joined the club, and maybe this is hindsight speaking, but I remember we had this meeting on bullying my freshman year. It's like our annual bullying meeting is what we even label it. And they were just saying stories about how they've been bullied all their life. A lot of it was because they were gay, because they were gender non-conforming. And these are crazy stories, like people saying, oh, I was pushed down the stairs. At that, during our freshman year, there was a senior who was trans. And I would even see her, like I would even be in class when she's not in class. Seeing people talk about her behind her back, just the nastiest stuff. And I think that's why I wanted to join the club because I was just like, wow, the offenses are so apparent and like, so like the wrong is so explicit. And in some ways I kind of felt like, oh, this was, this would be a, a platform for me to learn, to be an ally. And then maybe hopefully like they would be an ally for me. I remember this meeting clear as day because I, I was pissed off. One, because I felt betrayed a little bit because I had already been voted in as like one of the three new leaders of this club. I kind of felt like, oh, you like me enough to vote for me to be your leader. But then also the counters to my position were like, oh, 
we've gone through a lot. We've actually gone through racism. You don't know what you're like, you know, we've gone through hate for being myself too. But it was in a way to just invalidate having a conversation about race. So again, it's like a white club, but I felt offended because it's almost seemed like they wanted to put these oppressions on the totem pole and that theirs was just more and more important than the ones that I had to talk about. I guess the curriculum of the club was already set out and it was about it, it wasn't about race until this one meeting. It really did seem like they said, oh like racism is not the offensive like it's not that bad. Even though there's such like overlap, it doesn't make sense like Homophobia overlaps so much with racism. To have a conversation that doesn't incorporate both is misleading. Club members were frustrated because they wanted it to be mostly just, you know, gay, lesbian, trans issues without the whole race uh, intersectionality being discussed or brought up at all. And you know, that's such that's a small issue, but it speaks to it speaks volumes about yeah. where the community stands on race. And one could imply or even uh, use this incident to corroborate an argument that states that Marysville is somewhat racist. I do want to include this other uh, event that occurred earlier this year. Mm-hmm. On June 25th, members of the Marysville community, I believe it was about 125 people, gathered to engage in a prayer walk. So this was right after the George Floyd killing, mm-hmm. um, more or less. I, I guess it was a little bit after, about a month afterwards. Yeah. Um, but basically, they were praying for law enforcement, for politicians. And contrast that with a Black Lives Matter march that was organized about a month later in late July. Mm-hmm. It was about 20 to 30 people, uh, including myself and my friend Dio. We encountered a lot of opposition while we were marching peacefully around town. People yelling, all lives matter. There was a pickup truck with Trump flags on the back, you know, mm-hmm. stereotypical you know, right-wing iconography, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And there, was, there were even, there's at least one instance of a racial slur being spewed by someone. And I think what all of this reveals is that while the pandemic has allowed people to focus on the little things, mm-hmm. it's also been a litmus test, you know. Yeah. Not only has it, it's revealed economic disparities, it's revealed inequities in healthcare, it's it's revealed also where certain institutions stand when it comes to equality, you know, Mm -hmm. social justice. So I think that's really brought out a lot of opinions, definitely. Yeah. And that's why it's very difficult to view the photo of the football team waving the thin blue line American flag without it being seen as a political statement. Yeah, I think that's, it's really interesting that you said like the pandemic is a litmus test and it really opens people's eyes to disparities that probably just were not, uh, were pe- people just weren't cognizant to because at the end of the day, I think a lot of people tend to exist in a bubble. It's hard to break out of that bubble at times. It's hard to like be aware of different viewpoints and different ideas. I don't think the people in that Alliance Club when they were like, oh, I just want this club to be about lesbians and gays, thought they were being racist when they were excluding your friend, but it was just something they were just like, oh, I don't see this as an intertwined issue. So why should it become, why should you make it into an intertwined issue for me? 
people have a hard time with the word privilege, believing that it makes them a villain in the story by having a privilege when it really it's just an inherent thing that people of all identities possess. It's a subconscious thing. And there, there's been a lot of studies done in just the subconscious bias that all people have just because of a privilege they have or just the environment they grew up in. It's definitely something you can control, but it's not something you always are aware of just because of how deep the bias can run in a community or in, within yourself or within your family or within the people you surround yourself with. And it's hard to like come to terms with that just because it really means that you have to detangle a lot of ideas and concepts you grew up with or you have always viewed as, oh, this is just a fact. It's hard to like separate the idea that this is not a fact, this is just an opinion that I believed was a fact. As a woman of color, it's hard to live in a world where race isn't a factor in every, not in every decision, but in a lot of the decisions I make. And I've been privileged enough to like grow up in an environment where I've been surrounded by people of my own culture, of my own race, of my, like I grew up in a very diverse neighborhood. I didn't really have to come to terms with just the inherent racism that exists. I feel like I had the opposite leaning where like you grew up in a very majority white town. I grew up in a very majority um, in a in a place in New York that's majority Asian and Latinx and Black. I had the very opposite problem coming to Columbia because I was like I'm now going to be surrounded by an abundance of white people and I just have to it was a weird cultural shift for me because when I went to high school I was in class with most people of color. Um, it had its own faults and biases and I think it really explores the notion of how certain aspects of your identity definitely shape your viewpoint in the world because I think a main argument a lot of white people I've seen like to make is that not everything is about race but that's hard to say to a black person when a lot of their life decisions are probably based around the color of their skin. I think one of the most frank discussions I've ever had with my dad was when I told him that I was going to go to Columbia and major in the humanities. And he was like, this is going to be a hard field for you to break into as a woman of color, as an Asian woman. And I think I was just like taken aback by just how frank my dad was like, you're going to have to work 10 times harder than other people around you who are white or are male just because of who you are and the background you have. Maybe race isn't a factor in your life but it is a factor in other people's life the same way like how gender might not be a factor in a cis person's life but it is hugely influential in a trans person's life we've talked about like how it's impacted you how it's impacted your town the school the people involved haven't really directly acknowledged the error in judgment they've made due to like what's going on in this country right now i know you've said you've made petitions you've call them out. What do you think, in your opinion, should they do to make it right? The school has written a resolution. There were obviously a few on the board that did not agree with it. But what was officially said was that flags mean different things to different people. And because of that, there's no reason to say that there was a mistake made. There's no reason to have a discussion about what the implications are of using that flag in the photo or how it could alienate a minority of Marysville's population. There's actually a, a black student on the football team and it's, they're in the photo. So this is an issue that even goes down to the football team. 
you know, how are you going to support your fellow team members when you hoist a flag like that? There have been people that have argued that since there is a black football player in the photo, that yeah. automatically makes it right. It's a fine line to walk, deciding where you want to raise your voice and separate yourself from the larger group and where you just have to like hold your breath, accept it and move on because maybe I don't stand for it, but at the end of the day, I am just one student. I am just one person. People claim that, is it racist if a black person is in the photo? And a point to be made to the black student who decided I'm going to take part in this photo because it is one, his senior photo and he has a right to be in it. And two, at the end of the day, he also could have been like, I'm taking one for the team because I don't want to create a division within this team. I don't want to force my political opinions to overshadow a unified team photo. When is it okay to be like, no, I will not stand for this, even if it does alienate me, even if it does make me a pariah. I'm not saying it's easy for her to say because she did get death threats. It's like, it's so much easier to look at a photo and be like, this is highly offensive. It's harder to make that choice when you're in that situation. Like I said, these are 18-year-old kids in a small town. They probably don't understand the deep complexities of this flag and of their implications. It's really hard to be like, oh, this photo is going to blow up and everyone's going to be like, take this photo down. This is deeply controversial. It's just easy to just accept it, stand in the photo and be like, this is one unified team. One reason why some people go to college, you know, is to escape that, is to, you know, deliberately move away so mm-hmm. they can learn to understand new perspectives that they might not have grown up with. Mm-hmm. On a philosophical level, it's almost a selfish act, right? You know, if yeah. you're a minority in a small town, you feel like you're not accepted for your own mental health for your own safety it might be best to just move away like i am here right now i'm in marysville i don't really have other than like me being like at school like my family doesn't have like the like capability to move but like i made a list of all the things in my house i need to fix in order to move and i used to I have like kind of an attachment even like to Ohio in the abstract or like I've always lived in Ohio I've only been a few other places other than Ohio and now like I don't want to be here anymore like even like Columbus isn't good enough even like living in a place like 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 Worthington isn't isn't good enough like I want to be gone like I've ended up looking at like Seattle and looking at like Portland and be like I don't want to be like if this is what like people are like I don't want to be here anymore like I don't know if I can do anything like to change their minds and I don't know if that's like me running away from the issue like I'll feel that way like I like I'm done with these people like I'm done, I'm I can't fix them and I don't know if I'm like running away and being like and I like, trying to find like-minded people if that's like me being like selfish or if that's just me being like this like, I, I'm, I'm, like, talking to a wall. Like, there's no possible way I can tell these fish what water is. It's just easier to be like, why should I force myself to be in this uncomfortable situation and live through that emotional burden when I can just move away and meet people who are like me, who will accept me, who I won't have to justify my existence for, justify my life decisions for. The situation becomes a little bit more complicated when those same people who move away have also contributed a lot to the community itself, to the small town, 
my friend Dio, who attends the University of Chicago, you know, as I said, she started organizations at her high school. She started a small business and that allowed minorities in the community to, you know, collaborate, you know, and feel good about themselves and you know, foster this confidence that was lacking. It's super important to ask that question of whose responsibility is it to address these issues? And once you start thinking of answers to that, this hypocrisy starts to reveal itself, right? At once, a community like Marysville is very conservative, but at the exact same time, just like what I would assume most high schools, you know, there's always a senior assembly where students who are going to college or, you know, the military, stuff like that are acknowledged, you know, there's a sentiment that, you know, this is the next generation. Mm -hmm. Look at all these people going to all these great colleges, you know, Mm -hmm. Marysville might be racially tone deaf, but it's high school is decent. You know, it's not a horrible high school aside, like academic wise, like there are AP classes. Yeah. Um, like the curriculum is there. Yeah. It's just how the curriculum is presented uh, does not include everyone. That's the issue. Yeah. But getting back to how students are venerated for their accomplishments, it seems very short-sighted because at once the school wants to look good. You know? like, mm-hmm. Oh, this person went to Harvard or this person went to the University of Chicago. This person went to Columbia, Princeton. You know, but Then what happens to those students once they go to college and more importantly, what happens to their relationship with the community that they grew yeah. up in? And inherently, you know, in celebrating the accomplishments of students means that this is going to be good, not just for the high school, but for the community as well, because they're going to learn so much. They're going to bring these new perspectives. You know, this is going to be a generation of change, you know, new possibilities. But then, you know, you have incidents like, you know, this football photo, which reveal just how tenacious those original viewpoints really are and how dominating they are. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mentioned that I created a petition, you know, to uh, demand the superintendent address the inherent racism of the photo or just, just even open up a discourse. And a counter petition was created by someone in the community and it garnered over twice as many signatures. So there's definitely a majority opinion mm-hmm. and it's incredibly difficult, you know, not just in this specific situation, but in general, I think this is a case study in how one political opinion can definitely override another and at the same time claim to be apolitical. You know, this is just supporting first responders. This isn't supposed to be mm. um, an attack on an opposition. But inherently it is because of the cultural context. And with my friend Dio, she's included Marysville in her discussions on this issue. It's not just, I think this is offensive. Uh, in her op-ed, she wrote, we must do better. You know, she wants to feel part of this community. She wants Marysville to be her hometown. If she doesn't want to alienate herself, even though she's gone to college, like she doesn't, she, she told me that even though that she only lived in Marysville for seven years because she grew up in Chicago, she considers Marysville her home. So, and she's really made every effort possible to make that a reality, to make this a community that supports her. You know, like she wants to yeah. feel included. You know, she's, as I said, she's created organizations. She's I've uh, been very politically involved, outstanding student, obviously. And yeah. none of that seems like enough. You know, even an op-ed that spells all of the different positions on this issue out very, very clearly is still not enough for people to not crawl back into their original assumptions. You mentioned the hypocrisy, like you send this next generation off to college to learn new perspectives and learn new ideas. And then, but there's a second aspect of that is when they come back 
you have to learn to accept and understand those new new ideas and new perspectives and still see this next generation as part of your community as another growing understanding of your community and i think you mentioned how your friend united marysville in her op-ed she's like we need to do better we need to be better like she wants to be part of this community and she is a part of this community and she wants to make her community better and that's a selfless endeavor but at the end of the day the community itself has to accept the fact that this is a member of our community she has felt wrong and she is justified in this feeling and it really speaks to the idea of like whose responsibility is it to educate people on disparity on differences on just the idea that on different perspectives of life. You said your friend Dio created organizations, created clubs, did all those things to like foster a community for minorities and people of color in your town. But at the end of the day, she was like, what, a teenager in high school when she did these things? Like how much of it was really her responsibility to teach people her own age or people in adulthood about how you need to respect the lives and understand the lives of Black people, of other people of color, people in the LGBTQ community. Like, how much of that is her responsibility? It's going to be harder for people in a minority, people of color, to live with this blatant kind of exposition before them. Like, this is a perspective. This is their stance, and they refuse to apologize for it. They refuse to see the problematic nature of it. Um, and it's not like parents will have a choice. Like, they will have to send their children to these high schools. They'll have to, these children have to attend this school and know that at the end of the day, this administration, this institution doesn't want to support me. It doesn't want to stand for me. It is actively working against me in some ways. One thing that the superintendent did say in the resolution that was written by the school board Mm -hmm. is that this is a teaching moment. This is a moment to recognize the different meanings of the flag, the different opinions that people hold. Mm -hmm. That sentiment was not reflected in what the substance of the resolution really was. You know, the fact that race was not even brought up once. The fact that Black Lives Matter wasn't mentioned at all. The fact that Blue Lives Matter wasn't mentioned at all it's this complete ignorance to what the flag stands for. It is just a photo, but it does reveal a lot about uh, the community itself and what the school stands for, what the community thinks is acceptable. But even more than that, it has the ability to attract those who are even more radical Mm. in their beliefs. There was a rally that was created in support of the football team and it attracted an extremist group. And that's just another example of how this flag is resonating with those who have the worst intentions in mind, those, who, those people who don't want to listen, who purposely want to exclude certain demographics from participating in a conversation. And that's just not on their radar. It's not on the administration's radar. And, and that's what the problem is. It's, it's not the football team. It's not the individuals. The fact that they want to support police might, might itself be seen as an issue with some people. But I think the issue is more, it's less that and more just how you go about supporting law enforcement or mm-hmm. like if your family member if one of your family members is a cop how do you show support for them without alienating a group that faces inequities if it's a teaching moment why don't they actually 
teach something. Teaching moment, it's a buzzword. It's one of the many buzzwords people, organizations love using when they want to excuse an action that people find controversial. And all it's doing is allowing people to remain ignorant because this could have been a teaching moment. The administration could have taken an active choice and been like, um, this flag, we had the intention of wanting it to support this thing, but it has a history of supporting this. And we want you, the community, to know that. I think that would have held a lot of validity because I know your friend wrote an op-ed that laid out the facts. But when the actual administration that did it comes out with those facts, I think just people just are willing to accept administrations over an individual, especially your friend is young. People who are more old-fashioned may not want to except that her facts are actual facts and not just her opinion and would just view the institution as just a larger authority on the issue but but since the institution was just like took such a cop-out answer it's just it allows people to just remain ignorant even as someone who is white uh who you know can recognize the problems with the, the photo itself but it might not be impacting me personally as much as it would person of color who lives in this community, right? Like my friend Diosh, I think that she, uh, this is something that's definitely going to stick in her memory. It's going to stick in my memory. It's yeah. going to stick in my, uh, my friend Sarah's memory. Uh, I guess the moment when she tried to you know, open up discourse and also the time when she received death threats for doing so. So how, yeah, how, yeah it's, it's incredibly difficult to be part of a community that constantly tries to push you back. Who knows how many of those people who graduated in your year will come back and live in your small town? Who knows how many of those will stay in cities. But for the people who do come back, who are who were aware of this situation, who are in the senior class right now, who will graduate and go to this institution and look back on the photo. Like for those football players who are going to colleges out of state, colleges like in the East Coast or West Coast or anywhere else with more liberal-minded views, they're going to look back at this photo and they're going to look at it and think, how could my school allow this to happen? How can my school allow this photo to be taken? The photo was actually created by a booster group. Legally, it's not the same entity as Marysville Schools, you know, as an institution. It's a separate yeah. group, but it does receive funding from the school, as well as from outside sources. Mm-hmm. So it was connected. And even with that, without including that, the fact that, you know, these football players are wearing their jerseys, the fact that they're mm-hmm. holding the Marysville Schools flag, you know, this is school-sponsored speech. Really, any way you slice it. Mm-hmm. And even if someone wants to make the argument that because the booster group is separate from high school, it means that they can really s- posit whatever political beliefs they have, that raises the question, you know, what is the relationship between a booster group or like an outside organization that solicits imagery connected with another institution and whether or not that other institution is liable uh, for any of the speech that the booster group expressed? The photographer herself was never the, the target of our concerns, of my friend's concerns and my concerns. You know, I, we didn't even know who she was until she spoke out herself. And I don't know if she did it to try to, like, take heat off of the football team when there wasn't really heat on the football team. It was on the school district and, like, tried to, like, I don't know if it was, like, a business move to like get stuff for her but people are posting like I stand with Robin when like 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 she just took the picture like I know 
like she, she's like oh the boys picked the theme like they decided on what to do but like you just took the photo like you didn't have any stake in this like other than like you took it you didn't plan it you didn't orchestrate it you didn't bring the flags so like the fact that she like put herself in the middle of this as kind of like I'm the voice of reason in this like I don't know how like intentional that was people are really rallying behind her and like this is who we need to support like this is the right kind of woman yeah. She wrote this long post, you know, defending, in a way, herself, mm-hmm. even though no one was really opposing her in the first place, no one was really attacking her. And her main argument, uh, or at least her perspective on the issue, could be summed up with one question, which she wrote, when did we stop looking at things through a lens of love and instead started using a lens of hate? It's, that's, a, that's a loaded question. And I feel like only someone who has the privilege to accept and like accept all ideas and concepts and not feel degraded by them has the ability to say that. If you support an opinion that's actively harming other groups, other individuals, then you really can't claim that you're looking at it from a perspective of love. Like that's such a hypocritical and ignorant way of viewing your justification or viewing your reasoning because at the end of the day loving all things is just not possible there are just some things that are just deeply opposite deeply against individuals groups and ideas and by accepting all of it you are accepting hatred because like i can personally say that people have said things to me people have said things to my friends that i'm just like you you've insulted my very existence how could I possibly just be okay with that and be like I understand and I'm okay with it like it's such a mind-boggling statement I guess she was victimizing herself you know by saying I'm so tired of this you know she she made another post actually I was like I'm so tired of the division can't we just get along Uh, here's a picture of a puppy maybe that won't offend anyone that kind of stuff. I also hate when people say, I hope this doesn't offend anyone. Like, that's such, once again, a stirring the pot kind of question. When you say that, you want people to argue with you. And to make things even worse. Or I guess the self-victimization translated into a narrative in which she was the victim, in which Mm -hmm. all the opposition, like the petition, um, the op-ed was directed at her specifically when it never was. And you know, this is yeah. an issue about the administration. The story was picked up by yeah. a local ABC6 station. It was picked up by some far-right media outlets online. Mm-hmm. And like in the local newspaper and such. In all those cases, the photographer played a huge role. And I think the reason is, is that she represents a married white woman, cisgendered, mm-hmm. you know, kind of just like, she represented someone in the community. Like she represented right. some a majority in the community. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think of like the beauty queen, you know, at prom or something that represents mm-hmm. like the majority opinion. Might not necessarily be the right one, but it's definitely reflects what a lot of people think, um, yeah. and resonates with people because it doesn't. While it obviously stirs the pot, it says something that is very basic that people are going to. A lot of people are going to agree with simply because 
it doesn't address the problem itself. There was a definite opportunity as well to provide some context that was missing uh, for this small town. And unfortunately, uh, the news media failed. And there's really very little. I think that's, that's a huge problem, too. There's very little that my friends and I can do. There's very little that college students in general can do in this kind of situation when they have been exposed to different perspectives and they want to inject those into the community they, they grew up in. But there are so many different factors from the school administration to the community itself to individual students and local media that can really craft a narrative and choose to exclude some views and really elevate others depending on how likable they are or how inoffensive they are or even like the, the personas that people create for themselves that make them more appealing. It's going to be a hard thing to come back from at the end of the day because of how integral the football team, high, high school and is and the high school is to the community as a whole. And I will say whatever their good intentions may be, the thin blue line has a lot of historical context that is seeped in hatred and negativity and violence. And the flag itself was created not in solidarity with first responders or people dealing with this pandemic, but by a much more independent capitalist force that just wants to, I think, in my opinion, provoke controversy and provoke debate and this kind of anger in people. There's a limitation to how much we, as a generation, we uh, college students, teenagers, young adults, can play a role in shaping and bettering our communities if our communities aren't willing to accept that change, if they aren't willing to hear us out and to accept us as a member of the community wanting to make this community better. I agree. I can only really hope that things change, that uh, in due time, those involved in this incident come around and start to actually understand why people thought it was offensive in the first place. And that dialogue, that open dialogue is so important. Mm -hmm. And one that's incredibly difficult, admittedly, to accomplish on social media. But even outside of that, there are no limits to how that discussion manifests itself. Like my friends and I, we're trying to make something positive out of this and create a new organization that allows students to ask why more often. It doesn't have to be a nonprofit or something like that, but it could be so maybe we raise money to have this sort of organization and bring it to the school, see if they latch on. It could be that we raise money to like have a books and then sponsor a debate about it. Like we we could raise money to like bring books to the school and sponsor a debate. Cause as much as we did get pushback from you saying from you pushing back, Sarah. Uh-huh. There was a lot of support, and I do believe that there will be a lot of people who would be personally invested in having this sort of tangible thing come to fruition. Yeah. There was at least one person on, like, my, um, like, post that was, like, my, my clarifying post. Um, or she had, well, she had, like, written in the comments, like, I, I don't agree with you, but, like, this helped me understand a different perspective. Because, like, a lot at least especially my first one, a lot that was left out is like, no one told me why 
they support the flag. Like no one wanted to talk about that. No one wanted to ask me why I didn't support it and why I thought like the picture was wrong. It was just like instant attacks. Like no one was prepared for that conversation. No one like knew how to go about it. And even people like um, that are young and like and old, like it was, it was a universal thing. They didn't know how to ask why. I think what we're thinking about creating like a reading list for people mm-hmm. and having like a, a yearly question that students in high school or even in middle school can ask, like, why do we talk about race? You might be one that my, my friend Dio came up with. Or why don't uh, we talk about race? Why don't we talk about race too? That's that. Yeah. So I think, I, I think if that happens, then we'll definitely see a light at the end of the tunnel, I guess. I think that's a pretty solid note to end the interview on, if you think. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah.